Lord, as we open your word today, we ask that you would again speak to us. Spirit of God, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you. Come, Holy Spirit. We need your help to understand your word and to understand ourselves. And so come, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Today we're starting a new series called Spiritual Eyes. I've been preaching in this church 22 years. And I would say to you that this is probably the most significant series that I have ever done for us here that God has asked me to do. I stand here shaking because I know what lies ahead. But I'm also really excited as the Spirit takes us on a journey. And as you enter into looking at God's Word with me, I would ask one thing, that you keep praying that prayer, open the eyes of my heart, God. Because as you do that, you will not only see the Word of God differently, you'll see God differently and you'll see yourself differently through this. So, Spirit of God, we need your help as we look at these passages and as we look at your word today and as we take this journey together. Let me ask you a question. This was the verse that God gave me for the year. Every year we have a covenant card, don't we? And on that covenant card we have a verse of Scripture. And every year I am tasked with the responsibility of providing the Scripture. The rest of it stays the same, and I get an email that comes through, Pastor David, what's the Scripture verse going to be for this year? Well, there's, there's a number to choose from, isn't there? The Bible is a large book. And so generally I get on my knees and I say, Okay, God, what's, what do you want me to put on there? What is it? This was the verse that he gave us for this year. For our struggle, from Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me ask you a question. What does that mean? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them what that verse really means? That means you need to speak, right? 
If you're sitting on your own, go find someone that you can go and just share your pearls of wisdom with. Got it sorted? I mean, you have to ask yourself, who are these rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world? And who are the spiritual forces of evil? And anyway, what are they doing in the heavenly realms? I thought the heaven was where God was and that it was all peace and tranquility and heart playing and sitting on clouds and all that jazz. I didn't think there were spiritual forces of evil floating around in God's territory, is there? No? Yes. That sums it up. Yes and no. This is God's territory, so yes. But are these, who are these spiritual? Anyway, we're going to unpack this as we go through this series. You see, the key is that this verse, perhaps more than any other verse or many other verses, understanding this verse, if you don't understand what this verse is about, then you don't understand who you are. You certainly don't understand who God is, and you certainly don't understand what the church is all about. Because our church and you and me and God is all wrapped up in understanding this. And the Bible from Genesis to Revelation basically unpacks much of this. It's just that we don't often look at it. I remember years ago I used to go to the gym you can still, I still have the physique, but, you know, that's a different story. But I used to go to the gym, and, uh, and being that the gym was just in Harrow, I could grab a bit of time here and just run down there in the day and then come back and do some more work. Often I can't go in the evenings because I've got meetings and other things. So I used to go down there, and there was this one fellow in the gym. I always used to laugh. Because he would turn up at the gym, older fella, he would go into the gym, and he would change in all, all his outfit, right? He looked really... Sporty in the gym. And then he would go and he would get his towel and everything else and his water bottle. And he would go and sit on the exercise bike. Put his feet in, tie the straps up. And open the newspaper. And there he remained. I never once saw his legs actually do a revolution on the bike. It wasn't like he was cycling while he was reading. I think he just found it a, a quiet spot where he could go read his newspaper, and he looked the part, but you did wonder whether the gym really, the membership and the cost was really worth, you know, just go to the library and do the same thing. I'm sure he was at home and he said to his wife, I'm going down the gym again. 
you know, and there he was. He would sit there and just read his newspaper, not a single revolution of the exercise bike. And then when I was there, and obviously I was not like that. I was seriously working out and working up a sweat. And then he would, when he was finished reading the paper, he would get off the bike and go and shower and then go home again. There's many a guy here thinking, I wish I thought of that one myself. But the truth is that I think sometimes the church is a little bit like that. The church can look the part, even believers can look the part. But there's no point going to the gym if you're not going to exercise, right? And there's no point looking a Christian, being a Christian, being a church, if we're not fulfilling what it's all about. If we're not engaged in what the Bible tells us to engage in. The Bible speaks about two worlds. We've touched on this in the Lord's Prayer series. There's a physical world that we know all about. We're living in it, right? We're all in the physical world. But there is a spiritual unseen world that the Bible speaks about as well. And the Bible, going back one, I can, what's going on? Says that our battle is not against the physical world, flesh and blood, but it's against, it's in the spiritual world. It's against the unseen, it's against those things that are going on all around us, but we can't necessarily see it, not with our human eyes, we can't see it in the physical realm, but that it's nevertheless true in the spiritual realm. And the Bible gives us glimpses throughout the pages from Genesis to Revelation about what that spiritual realm is about. Now, there's two dangers with this. Actually, before we go on. There's two dangers that we fall into. One danger as we look into the spiritual world is that we just dismiss it. Because we don't understand it, because we don't have all the answers to it, because literally we can't control it, we therefore say, well, I'm not going to believe in that. And we just dismiss it off. And we like to maintain ourselves in the physical realm because in the physical realm we understand it, we can control it, we know what it's all about. And so we just dismiss it. But there is a second danger, and that is the danger that we embellish it. Because the Bible doesn't give us all the answers about how the whole thing works together, we fill in the gaps and make it up. And as we go through this course, we need to understand those two dangers and we make sure that you don't fall and I don't fall in between them or, or go to those two extremes. We have to stick to what God has told us through the pages of Scripture and understand what He's saying to us, but recognize in that understanding that He doesn't always explain how it all works. I think for a very good reason, because then we would start to try and manipulate it for our own ends. But let's look at some passages together. Psalm 82, verse 1. Read it carefully. It says, God presides in the great assembly... He renders judgment among who? The gods. 
Hang on a minute. I thought there was only one God. Didn't you? But the Bible itself says what? That there are many gods. How does that work? I thought we were monotheistic, not pantheistic. But the Bible itself in Psalm 82 says, here's God, the picture is God is seated, presiding in some great kind of courtroom, if you like, a great assembly, and he is rendering judgment to other gods. How many people have read the Psalms before? Hmm. Psalm 89, verse 5 to 7, the heavens praise your wonders, Lord. That's good. Your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. Who are the holy ones? Well, in the Hebrew, it's the same word as God's in Psalm 82, verse 1. So here they all are. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Hang on. Same word. In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. So Psalm 89 is giving the same picture that there is this, somehow there's this heavenly council, and God is there meeting out judgment on other gods. Some are worshiping. Some are being judged. Another one. Oh, look, this is a good one. Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, he says this. This is a vision that Daniel had. He said, I looked up as I looked. Thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, that's, that's an Old Testament name for God, Yahweh, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. It's like a picture in Revelation 4. Then he says, thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. You see, in the Bible, let me go back a bit. Spiritual beings are all called Elohim. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the, the Hebrew word is Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. But the term Elohim is also used in Deuteronomy 32 verse 7 to describe Fallen angels, demons. Same word. Same word for God as for the demonic. And it's also in 1 Samuel 28, 13, the same word for dead Samuel. Samuel has died, the prophet. Saul is about to be attacked. And he asked his prophets for a word from the Lord, and they said nothing. So he decides to go to a medium and consult the dead. And he goes to this medium, and he says, There's, I want you to get Samuel for me. And this medium raises up 
Samuel's spirit, because Samuel's dead, and he asks Samuel, as though Samuel was alive, what's going to happen in this battle? And the word that the Bible uses for Samuel's dead spirit that this Median consults is Elohim. With me so far? Bible's not quite as simple as you thought, is it? All spiritual beings are called Elohim. As I said, there is a physical reality and a spiritual reality. And the Bible shows, as I've just said with Saul, how these two are connected together. There's not just a, a physical reality down here and a spiritual reality up there. It's not that we just get on with life down here and then when we die, we are suddenly transformed up there. The Bible speaks about these two worlds right from Genesis chapter 1, that they are connected together. Let me give you one of the best examples in the scripture of this. In 1 Kings 22. In 1 Kings 22, as I'm sure you're aware, Israel with King Ahab and Judah decide that they need to go to war against Aram and the Aramaic, Aramites. Now Jehoshaphat was someone that trusted God. Ahab didn't. Jehoshaphat was from Judah. And he came up and they decided to get together and he said, before we go into battle, do you have any real prophets here? I'm not talking about all your prophets because they just talk nonsense. They just tell you what you want to know. I'm talking about a prophet of God that will tell you the truth. Do you have a real prophet? And he said, there's one, but he always gives me bad news, so I never ask him. Right? And there's this guy, Micaiah. And he says, go get him and bring him in. And he says, okay. So Micaiah comes in and he says, tell me the truth. And so he says, okay, I consulted God, and this is what God said. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead? That's where Aram was, the people of Aram. And going to his death there. One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit, an Elohim, came forward, stood before the Lord, and said, I will entice him. Oh, come on, go. Why is this not working? By what means, the Lord asked, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. Let me go back. Does that sound like the God that we follow? Did you get that? So God is up there, and God has said, you know what? It's time for Ahab to die. So basically, I'm going to send one of my Elohim from heaven 
to go and plant some deceiving thoughts into the minds of all his prophets, the people he consults, so that he will go and attack and he will be killed. That's what the Bible says. Didn't I tell you earlier this will change your opinion about who God is? See, God is not just up there sitting there, nice, 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 nice. God is involved in history and in this world. And we need to understand it. This is in the Bible. This is God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed. You see, the way that we understand this connection fundamentally will... Un it just opens up the Word to us. God gives commands to His Elohim that changes history that affects the world here, what we know. God is in control. But we have somehow got this opinion that God is up there and He only ever does, does what we think are nice things. And that's it. But as we unpack all of this, you'll see that God is very different. the middle-class Victorian God that we've come to learn and understand. Do you remember in Luke 7, where the centurion came to Jesus because his, his servant was dying? Do you remember that? And, and the centurion said, Jesus said, oh, I'm going to come. And he goes, oh, you don't, don't need to come. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And what did Jesus say? Do you remember? That I've never seen faith like this in Israel. You know why? Because that centurion, Gentile as he was, he understood the relationship between the unseen, the spiritual, and the physical. He knew what it was all about. And Jesus recognized his understanding, and he said, you know what? I've not seen faith like this. I've not seen understanding like this. This is different. To what everybody else thinks. Today we're going to look at one particular start. We're going to start our journey right at the beginning in Eden. What comes to mind, talk to the person next to you, what comes to mind when you think about the Garden of Eden? And don't say apple, right? Well, just leave that for now. That's next week's, right? What comes to mind when you, when you think about the Garden of Eden?
Most people, I won't ask for feedback because I know you already know this now. Most people think of it initially as Adam and Eve's home, right? Where they lived. Here they were, planted, put in the garden. They work from home. Must have been pandemic on in the rest of the world or something, I don't know. But there they were, they said, just go work this piece of land and you'll be fine, right? It was their home. But also, Ezekiel 28, 13, and 31, 8, and 9, we won't look at it in specifically, but it, they call it the Garden of God. That actually, it wasn't just Adam and Eve's home, but it was God's home. Hang on a minute. I thought God lived in heaven. And we've already understood that heaven is a little bit different than the heaven we thought about. How does this all this work? Not only that, Genesis 3, 8 has... God walking casually in the cool of the night, saying, Adam, why are you hiding? Right? So there's God. The picture in, in Genesis is a God being there, and this is his kind of garden. It's his place. But not only that, but Ezekiel 28:14 says that Eden is called God's holy mountain. I thought it was in the plains. How can it be on the mountain? And also, there's not too many gardens on the top of mountains, are there? Because there's a lot of legwork to get up there uh, with your hoe and your spade and everything else. How does that work? Well, because in the Bible, anytime you see mountain or a garden... That means that was a place where the Elohim, or God, rested. God lived. In the Old Testament, you see it in particular. Go to a particular tree. And, and they understood that there were trees. There were special places where the Elohim, the spirit world, lives here on earth. And they either call them mountains or gardens. That's why Jerusalem is said to be built on a mountain. Who's been to Jerusalem? Some people have been to Jerusalem. It's not a particularly high mountain, is it? I mean, it's, you know, you, you, hard, you get more of a sweat walking up here on the hill than you do going to Jerusalem, right? But it's called a mountain, not because it's literally a mountain. It's called that because they want to signify this is a holy place, Right? So if you read in the scriptures about a garden of whatever or a mountain of whatever, it means that it's holy, it's different. It's, it's where the Elohim are residing. It's where people go to meet. Remember like the old way that if you wanted to go and see a, a particular wise person, where would you meet them? On the top of a mountain, right? They would be perched there in the, in the snow and you would clamber up and then you would go and get your wisdom from them, right? That's why. It's, it's that symbol of being you know, closer to God and all those kind of things. And in the Bible, it's no different. And Eden, it says, was God's home. This is where God lives on earth. Now, let's read a little bit. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, which is what I want to really look at today. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our own likeness, or in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, 
and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. You know this, right? Read this before? Let me ask you a question. Let's go back. Who is God speaking to? Then God said, who's he speaking to? The Trinity? Why would he need to speak to himself? It says us. Who's he talking to? Prophets? Can't be prophets because he hasn't made us yet. Because he says, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. You see, I thought it might have been the Trinity. But the Trinity, it doesn't make sense if you read it. He's talking here to the other Elohim, the spiritual world. Just follow the logic. So he talks to them all, the spiritual realm, and he says, let us make mankind, humanity, in our image, in our likeness. He's talking to the spiritual, the Elohim. Let, let's make humanity like Elohim, like us, in our image. It's just like we read earlier in the heavenly courts, right, where 1 Kings 22, where he's talking to them, said, who, who am I going to send? Who's going to go? Right? Here he's saying, let's, let's, let's make humanity like this. Why? So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and da, 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 da. Right? So he's talking to the other Elohim. Because he says then, something different happens. He talks to them. And so God created humanity in his image, not in our image. That's why it's not the Trinity. Because if it was the Trinity, he would just carry on saying the same thing. Yep. That's next week's. God created humanity in the image of the Elohim. Then he says, but the thing different here from anywhere else in Scripture is, who does the creating? God. Usually, God is sitting there and he says, who am I going to send? Who's going to go? Who's going to carry out? God sits there on his throne this is a pathetic interpretation of God on his throne. But anyway, couldn't get worse. But he sits there and he says, okay, need this done. Who's going to go? Brian, off you go. Do it, right? Alex, I need a steak bake. You know where it is. Off you go, right? And he sits there and, and he's holding court in heaven, telling the Elohim, telling the angels, however you want to put it, what to do. Gabriel, 
Mary needs a word. Go. Daniel chapter 10, you know, he says, Michael, one of the angels getting stuck, the prince of Persia, go. Go sort it out. And so he's there commanding. But here, when it comes to you and me, he says, you know what, this is special. I'm going to do it. And he creates you and me, humanity. Let's carry on. Oh, let's go back. Second thing I want you to notice. Is what he asks us to do. Actually, before we get there, let's just carry on. God made us. I want you to let that sink in. God has made us. We are made in the image of God. That's not your outward appearance. That's something deeper. Like all the spiritual realm, we have that spiritual, that Elohimness, as the Bible calls it, inside of us. We are made like that. Yes, we are made physically. But there is not a divorce from the physical and the spiritual. There is a joining together of the two. And the Bible calls us to be His image. You are made in the image of God, but you are called to be His images. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, rule over it, subdue it. Come on to that in a sec. But I want you to get, you've got to get this, right? In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, Paul calls us ambassadors. An ambassador is the same thing, right? Made in, you represent, you are effectively. The ambassador, you know, in France, the British ambassador is Britain in France. And the embassy where he is a part of the United Kingdom, Right? And we are God's images here on earth. That's what he's made us to be. That is who we are. That is, that is our role, our function, uh, our being. To be God's representatives in every essence of life here on earth. Oh, let me go back. Jesus said it, or in, sorry, in John 1, it says, Yet to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's why we can be called children of God, right? Because we're of the same stuff as God himself. You get that? We're made of the same thing as, in a sense, as God. Therefore, we can be children born not of the physical realm, nor of human decision or husband's will, physical realm, but born of the spiritual. The two are joined together. We are God's image here on earth. 
Why? Because he wants us to be fruitful, increasing number, fill the earth and subdue it. This is our role. To represent God, to go out from God's courtroom and represent God, do the things of God to the whole world around. The picture you have in Genesis chapter 1 is of a garden. The Garden of Eden. Somewhere out in the Middle East, right? Wherever it was. And God says to Adam and Eve, now, I don't want you just to stay here. I want you to increase in number. Have kids. And, and teach those kids. Let those kids be images too. So that they, the garden won't be big enough. So what do you need to do? You'll need to extend. And as you extend, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to make the whole world the Garden of Eden. I want you to be my ambassadors. In other words, going out into the whole of creation, the whole world that I've made, and to fill it with my presence. Just like in 1 Kings 22, God sits there. He tells his Elohim, this is what you've got to go do. Go do it. He says the same thing to you and me in Genesis. He said, this is what I want you to do. Go and go and do it. Fulfill it on my behalf. Go and be that imager for me across this globe. How do we do that? Well, we rule it, subdue it with love. We take the characteristics of God and we, we share that. We do that in the same way. How We make the whole world Eden. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look around the whole world, as beautiful as it is, it's not quite Eden, is it? I see humanity just abusing creation, tearing it to pieces, abusing one another, abusing pretty much everything that we can abuse. We, we we're not doing what God has asked all of us to do. Be fruitful, increase. Jesus said the same thing, Matthew 28. What did he say? As you're going, make disciples, make more images. So you have two ways of increasing. One, you can give birth, and secondly, you can give birth. Right? Give birth physically, give birth spiritually. But don't give birth physically if they're not going to become spiritual. Right? Give birth spiritually. Make disciples. Make other images from the people that are here that are not being the images that they were supposed to be. Go and encourage them in the role that I've given them. Because this is our one and only purpose in life. The purpose for which humanity was created is this. To go and bring Eden to the rest of the world, to be his image. And we can do that as we make disciples so that God has more channels through which to flow. We need to extend God's global influence. Putin at the moment is trying to extend Russia's influence, right? We have to extend God's influence. It's an amazing thing. You know, you know what's so amazing about the family of God? 
I saw this picture on, online of Russian Christians and Ukrainian Christians having a Zoom prayer meeting together. That is what it's all about, increasing God's influence. Getting on their knees together from the opposite sides and saying, hey, we're brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. And that, that trumps politics and everything else. But this is what we are to do. And we are to create, treat creation as God has instructed us to treat it. And that affects everything, doesn't it? That affects what I buy, what I throw away, how I, how I use creation. That affects how, what I do with, with the bits of creation that God has given us. How I treat it. That it affects everything in my, in my physical life that I am to nurture and protect. It affects what I give money to. It affects how I use the resources that God has given me. It affects so much. We're to extend, we are to look at creation and one another as well as I've said as we are all. We all have that Elohim nature within us. Some people bury it, but it's still there. So how we treat one another, Cain and Abel, his blood shouting out to me. How we treat one another, how we, how we look at one another, how we encourage one another. We need to see humanity as, as potential images for God. Whoever they are, whether they are the guy sitting on the street corner or whether they are a member of the royal family sitting in a palace. They're all potential images for God, aren't they? And we need to treat them as that and say, hey, come on, let, let me see if I can encourage God. Use me to encourage that image of you out of them so that they may understand and go and be. And it affects what you think about yourself, too. You are made as God's image. God chose you and said, Jenny, you are the person that I want to send to Harrow to be my image there. Audrey, you are the person that God has sent, you know, to be my image. I want it to shine through you. Jesus said, you see me? Seen him, right? I am his image. Hebrews 1. Image of the firstborn, right? He, he is God's image, and it's true for you and me too. Why? Because we're made in his image. The Elohim is part of who we are. And we need to live that way and be that way. Now, you have to understand this is the start. It gets way more complex, kind of. Make this idea. But I think that's enough for today. How do we start? 
How do you start to be an image of God? Well, first of all, you make it number one in your life. You say, Lord, every day I'm going to surrender to you because I want to be your image today. I want to be your image at work. I want to be your image in my family. I want to be your image as I go to the shops. I want to be your image as I go to Wildstone Football Ground. I want to be your image as I go wherever I happen to be going today. I want to be your image. I want people to look at me and see you. Because that's who I am. That's what you've created me for. And so, Lord, I surrender everything to you. And we pray like Psalm 139, search me and know me. Know my inmost thought. Examine me. See if there is any offensive way, any way within me, anything within me that, that Lord, is not of your image. Then remove it from me. And we ask him to then flow. It's who we are. It's what we're created to be. You, me, this church needs to be an imager of God. Let me go back one. As we close this message today, you put the lights down. Yeah, thanks. Pray this prayer for yourself. God has created you and me to be his images in this world. This is the way to do it. If you want to come up to the rail and kneel at the rail and pray it, then do so. Let me move this out of the way. But you can't do it any other way. If you're serious, we're serious about what God has called us to be. This is where it starts. We pray together, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Lord, check me out and see if there's anything that's not of you in me. Anything that gets in the way of that Elohimness that you created me to be. Lord, remove it. I want to see Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you high and lifted up in my life and in the life of your church.
Lord, shake me from my comfortableness and lead me in your ways. Your way everlasting. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.